you take the Saints, for example, uh, winning the Super Bowl uh, following Katrina, or even the Astros winning the the World Series after you know um, their hurricane, and people saying, well, you know, the city needs this, or it brought the city back, and uh, and you know that's not necessarily true. <laughs> so, well, and. Um, and we can relate to that here in Detroit because in 1968, that was the year after the uh, the riot uh, rebellion. Uh, people call it both, uh, and the thought was that uh, the, that Detroit needed this. They needed the Tigers to win the '68 World Series after just barely missing the World Series uh, in '67. Uh, you know, you address that in the book and make it quite clear that that mythical uh, view that we have uh, of that time is just that. Yeah, I mean, and I wanted to believe it um, going in, uh, quite frankly. I wanted to believe that the Tigers, as uh, Willie Horton, um, who was the outfielder, uh, an outfielder on that team, and who I respect a great deal, uh, has said, and I'm going to paraphrase him here, uh, that the 68 Tigers were put on earth to heal the city of Detroit uh, following the riots. Well, you know, you you start to, you, you take a step back and, and you look at things, and and you see that really wasn't the case, and that you know that was something that uh, towards the end of the season was being pushed by very powerful people, um, men like uh, Governor George Romney, then Mayor uh, Jerome Kavanaugh, and it, it's been built up and built up and built up over the years. And at the same time, if you look at what was going on in Detroit, 1968, you saw an, the ascendancy of George Wallace. <laughs> in his presidential run in the white wards in the, in the city. And the idea that a sports team can, you know, heal racial tensions that were caused by a variety of factors, um, not only dealing with race, but socioeconomic conditions and so forth, I think, number one, puts a tremendous onus on a, on a baseball team as they're trying to do their job. And I think, number two, um, oversimplifies greater issues so that you'll say, uh, the you know the tigers you know really did heal that city well you know maybe for a few days or maybe you know in the in the course of the season possibly but the feelings that you know helped spark the riots the conditions um, that existed were were still present and uh, I think it was important for me to sort of try and unpack that myth because it still exists to this day and people really really want to believe in it I wanted to believe in it mm-hmm. and. And um, unfortunately, it's just not true. As you read the book, as uh, one goes through it, uh, you get a picture of the uh, two pitchers that are the focus of the book, Bob Gibson and Denny McLean. We know Denny McLean's story, but we get a pretty good picture of the kind of not only athlete, but the kind of person Bob Gibson was. And you can see that he was probably uh, misunderstood, for, for, for lack of a better word. I mean, here was a man who was driven. When he was on the mound, you, 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 you couldn't beat him just because he was so locked in. What, do we, what did you learn about Bob Gibson? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that's been said about him over the time, and I think it's, you know, solely based on the color of his skin, is that he's been described as, you know, a symbol of, uh, of the black power movement, as... Um, Something you know, he, he really wasn't. Uh, I mean, and I've I've said this a few times uh, now, but you know, when in sort of examining him, I sort of see him as almost a DiMaggio or a, a Ted Williams-like figure. You know, he he didn't like the press. I mean, that's uh, that's an understatement, and he didn't really have much use for fans. 
but the game was 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 important to him, and he was misunderstood because he was um, viewed as you know a mean person. But he was just mean to his competitors <laughs> and to a man. When you talk to the St. Louis Cardinals uh, uh, that were his teammates, they will describe a funny, gregarious, great teammate, and that's not something you often hear with Bob Gibson. Uh, but once he stepped into the mound, once he entered his office, as he, as he called it. Uh, you know, there wasn't any joking around. There wasn't any playing. You know, he didn't talk uh, to, to players on opposing teams at, um, at all-star games. He liked the idea of being this mysterious figure and uh, because it worked to his advantage. And uh, and so, you know, he's a lot more complicated than, than, uh, than people sort of give him credit for because, you know, in every sort of baseball retrospective, he's seen as this, angry, angry, angry figure, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 you know, he did uh, pitch with a sort of chip on his shoulder. He came from deeply impoverished conditions and, and had to struggle both in the minor leagues and then in his very few first few years um, in, in the majors. But once he was there and once he found himself as, uh, as a pitcher, um, you know, he devoted himself to that, his craft um, as much as you know, any pitcher in his era, as much as Koufax or or Drysdale or, or Marischal or any or any of the great pitchers in the 1960s. You, you really set a good contrast between uh, Bob Gibson and Denny McLean, both uh, both competitors, but both very different uh, people, both different men. You also uh, paint a good picture of how of what was happening in baseball at that time. Part of the title is the end of baseball's golden age. I mean, the sport was really kind of going through an existential crisis here. I mean, it it, it just seemed like an anachronism uh, in in its time and had to change or die. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the golden age uh, line comes up a lot, but, you know, it was my choice um, to to call it that because... um, you know, baseball for for so long had enjoyed uh, a dominant uh, place among sports uh, in American culture, and by 1968, all of that was changing. and And a lot of it had to do with the rise of television, and you know, with television comes the National Football League, and baseball does not know how to react. And you know, uh, this was a time you have to remember when old ballparks were being destroyed for these sort of multi-purpose AstroTurf uh, stadiums that, thank goodness, don't, don't exist today. <laughs> but, you know, how to deal with the modern world, how to, um, to reach out to young fans, you know, something we even see today um, was of, of great concern. And, and, you know, and it caused a lot of fumbling um, within uh, the hierarchy that, that controlled the game. And so it, it was unclear how to, how to do that. And we always have to remember that 1968, while well, Super Bowl three, famously won by Joe Namath and the, and the Jets, uh, was was played in 1969. That season was happening during 1968, mm-hmm. and you know, even watching the World Series and the footage, um, which I had to do for the book, uh, uh, compared to watching Super Bowl three, you know, why football would surpass baseball. You know, exponentially um, um, within a matter of uh, with re- really no time at all. Um, you know, is quite apparent. And so, as the game watched, you know, the end of careers like like Mickey Mantle and, and Roger Maris, and 
and and saw you know that that passage, it really sort of w- was questioning itself as to as what to do, and 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 that's something I really wanted to try and address uh, in the book because, you know, if it is our national game, then what does our national game actually look like? Where should we put Denny McLean? How should we view him today? I mean, Denny is a complicated guy. Uh, I mean, he lost his father very young, and that effect on on losing that disciplinarian and you know, quite actually terrible human being, um, <laughs> um, sort of policing him, you know, create a recklessness in him that sort of lasted forever. And the, the 68 Tigers wouldn't exist without him, winning 31 games, capturing not only the uh, American League Most Valuable Player Award, but also the Cy Young. But the Tigers are now faced with uh, an issue. It's like, how do you recognize uh, someone who has done you know, pretty terrible things um, uh, in his personal life, but also always seems at odds with the Tigers. And, you know, the fact that they're not honoring him with a bobblehead um, or, you know, sort of recognizing him um, in, in any kind of fashion uh, strikes me as, as heartbreaking. And he's a much hated figure by a lot of people and, you know, probably deservedly so. But at the same time, you know, he's a tragic figure um, as someone who, had he not started taking cortisone, you know, had he stayed in the game perhaps longer, had he not had um, that inclination and that belief that he could do whatever he wanted, you know, would have perhaps become one of the great pitchers of all time. And so, you know, we see this this figure who was so important to that team and so important to that year as kind of a lonely figure, which... You know, if you, if you talk to any Tigers teammate, what comes across is that that he was lonely, that he was a guy that wasn't really part of the team. And in that way, I kind of find it sad. You know, that said, I mean, you can't ignore the fact that he did what he did that year and took that that, that Tigers team uh, to the pennant, um, even though he, you know, had a less than stellar uh, World Series. And so... He deserves some sort of recognition and, and some sort of credit and more, that, more credit than he's actually getting. 